Have a seat. Good morning. Wow, this is not so bad for the amount of people we have today. That's pretty good. How are you guys this morning? Good. Well, hey, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, uh, you know we've been in a series uh, over the last several weeks talking about God as Father. And so we're going to continue that today. Today's the last day of this series. But I want to, as we start off today, um, I want to take you back about three years ago and start this morning with four words. Now, as we were um, talking in our opening meeting today with the, in prayer time with the, the staff and the worship team, I said, well, when I say these four words, I don't know, things could go bad or things could be okay, we'll see. But it has a point, so just stick with me, okay, as we get through this. But I want to take you back about three years and start today with four words, and these are the four words, uh, President-elect Donald Trump, okay? Now, don't go running out of here, don't get upset or anything, this, this makes a point, okay? Uh, President-elect Donald Trump, his title changed, right? Uh, up until that point, about three years ago, November 8th, 2016, he was known as GOP presidential candidate Donald J. Trump. Then somewhere around 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning, um, I was still awake. I was watching uh, you know, all the election results come in. I'm kind of like a, a news junkie. So, so this, for me, was kind of like the Super Bowl, right? And uh, I, I'm one of those news people, and I've got issues, I know. But... Um, I was sitting there in my living room, uh, waiting to see, you know, what kind of, what, what was going to kind of happen. And as I'm sitting there, I've got my laptop open, I've got like six different tabs of my web browser open, and I just keep refreshing things, or I'm just watching all the different pages. It's, it's just as sick as it sounds, honestly. Um, but I'm going from page to page to page, and then somewhere around 2 a.m. in the morning, if you remember anything about that night, um, I remember seeing that on one of the sites that I was monitoring uh, that said that um, he had won Pennsylvania. Right, and so when you kind of knew, you know, think, things are looking a little bit different now. I mean, everything changes at that point. Then about 7 a.m. the next morning, I remember whoever was in charge of the real Donald Trump account uh, at the time changed his biographical information on there, on there. And what it did, it went from, you know, whatever it said before, GOP, presidential candidate, businessman, entrepreneur, uh, real estate tycoon, whatever it said, it was changed to president-elect Donald Trump. And what that did was it changed how an entire nation of people related to that man, right? Have you ever had anything like this happen maybe to you in your life? Have you ever had a title change before, right? Maybe, maybe suddenly you've been, you know, you've been uh, working at the same place for 25 years, say, and then all of a sudden you're the department head or you're the boss and everyone starts looking at you differently because you've got a different title, I know we try to live in this world where titles don't matter, but really and truly we know that, that they do, right? Some things happen that cause people to look differently at you. Maybe, maybe for you it was a much nicer title. Maybe it was a friendly title. Maybe it was when you became like you know, a grandma or, or a grandpa, and all of a sudden people are looking at you differently, right? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because of that title, all of these people are relating to you differently. See, when Jesus comes on the scene, everyone is relating to God as Father in a particular way, and he changes it. You see, up to this point, everyone has known God as like, you know, kind of the father of the nation, right? Maybe they use the term like he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the country's fathers in Israel, be much like us today talking about people like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and, and Thomas Jefferson. It doesn't sound very personal, right? It sounds like he's a God who is far off. He's a God who's God at all, but he's not personal to me. He's the God of really important people of our past, 
but it's not something that applies to me right here, right now, in this moment. As we've been talking about God wanting to be a father to you over the last several weeks, I can't help but wonder how, how you're relating to this. You know, some of you uh, relate to this in a very peculiar way. Maybe you are one who's thinking of God sitting on this throne somewhere in a far-off country where he's kind of distant. Or maybe for you, he's, you know, he's, he's got this long white beard, very kind of stern look on his face. Maybe it's a very disappointed look on his face. Some of you, as we've talked about God as father, you cannot help but think about your earthly father because, after all, that's really what up to this point, all that you can relate to. And so maybe, you know, whatever the characteristics or the personality of your earthly father, you've applied those to God. And so for some of you, think, you know, that's very, very painful. But see, when Jesus comes on the scene, he decides that he wants to make a change in how people are relating to God the Father. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we believe that Jesus gave this message over and over again. In fact, it's recorded in other Gospels in different ways. We've got little snippets of it, including in books like the Gospel of Luke. And so to show you the change that Jesus makes in relating to God the Father... As we're looking at this passage this morning, I want you to know that I could have gone to any of the several different portions of this this one message that Jesus gave. I could go to the section on giving, right, and and, and how Jesus talked about God as Father in the section on giving. I could talk about the section on fasting, but I chose the one on prayer because I think it's the simplest and easiest to read and to understand exactly what Jesus does here in this passage. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, It says this, but when you pray, he says, go into your inner room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not babble on like the pagans, for they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them. He says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He goes on, he says, so this then is how you should pray, our Father In heaven, hallowed be your name. Now understand something. This was absolutely revolutionary. Jesus introduces his disciples in this message to a unique relationship with God and he's making it available to everyone. And so without looking at the page, without looking at your phone, turn the screen off for one second. I want you just to hear this for a moment. Hear Jesus say this over and over again. Your father... He says, your father, our father, your heavenly father. Ten times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as father, truly is the the father of the nation. Jesus more than doubles it in the Sermon on the Mount alone. He doesn't refer to him as father of the nation. He refers to him as a personal heavenly father, your father. See, everything changes when you think of him personally as father. As we've been going through this series in some moments of uh, personal prayer and scripture reading, I just decided that I would pray to God as Father in a very particular way. You say, well, you know, we always pray to God as Father. Let me, let me kind of let you in on how this particularly happens for me. Wherever, uh, whenever I go to God in prayer, this is kind of what it sounds like um, for the most part. You say, you know, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I'd like to confess all of my sins to you and we're gonna be here for a while. And, and, and here's the list, and, and your will be done, but, but, but please take care of my list. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, then around the dinner table, a lot of times it's, you know, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. 
Thank you for all that you give us. Bless it to our bodies in Jesus' name, amen. And anytime that I pray that, I mean, it typically goes like that, right? Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, but I don't really ever even think about it. That I'm praying to my Father, And so in personal time over the last few weeks, every once in a while, just kind of take a minute and I just pray one word. Just say, Father. Right, take it and and just strip away all of the routine. Strip away all of the ritual, all the things that we typically say and just, just, just breathe it in for one minute. Father. And I was surprised the the, the first time, I, I, I didn't start weeping, I didn't lose control, but I just had a bit of emotion that came upon me. Just going to him as Father. And see, that's the invitation that God has given to us to pray to him as Father. Luke chapter 11, verse 10, Jesus says this For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mean, even if someone like, like me, right, can come up with good things to do for my earthly kids, how much more will God the Father take care of me? See, he can be trusted, Right? He's not setting me up for failure. He's not setting me up for, for a fall. But he is a good, good father. Now here's the problem with the word father, and there is a problem. I know that we've talked um, about it for about three weeks, and this is week four of the series. We've had teaching on what it means to be a father, um, what it means to be fathered by God, what it means that God wants to be a father to us. But here's the problem, is I really don't know too many people today who use the word father. I really, I really don't. Maybe at your house, your kids call you father, that's fine. But to me, the word father sounds like something that my girls might say if they were like calling me from prison or something, right? Like, okay, it just sounds distant. It sounds far off. And so the Apostle Paul, he gives us a way to take this even a little bit closer. I want you to look with me uh, for a moment at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're going to read verse 15 and 16 in just a minute. Because I have to pause here for a moment. I want you to understand something. What I'm about to say to you is really not culturally acceptable, but I'm okay with that. But you need to hear this this morning. Is that we are not all children of God. Now in our culture, that sounds really mean. We're all created by God, right? God knows the hairs of every single person in this world. Every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He has plans for our lives. He has purpose for our lives. We're created by God. But you are not a child of God unless you have accepted the Son of God. Once you've accepted the Son of God, you know, God's plan that that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, right, to shed his blood because Throughout history, it's always required a blood sacrifice. Once you believe that God sent his son to be that once and final sacrifice and that he's risen from the dead today, then the spirit of God confirms something in your heart that you are a son or a daughter of God. Now look at the rest of this, verse 15. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This term happens three times in the New Testament. I want to read to you the second one really quickly. It's also from the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, and because you are sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, he says, you're also an heir through God. See, the Apostle Paul takes a couple things further than anyone has ever taken them before. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it, right? That you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That you're a participant in his resurrection. That you have his life coming through you. You have all the same rights and and privileges and honors that the resurrected son of God has. And it just kind of takes our, our whole life to kind of work that out because that's an amazing truth. But in the middle of all of this, the Apostle Paul says that the Spirit of God has put something inside of us so that we will cry out to God in a particular way, Abba, Father. Now see, we've made a shift, right, because titles mean things. Jesus said, look, God's not just the Father of a nation, he says, your Father. Then the Apostle Paul makes another shift to Abba, Father. So what is an Abba, Father? Abba very simply is an Aramaic word for father. But it's much simpler to say. It's a much more personal word. And so kind of through history, it kind of goes like this. Imagine teaching a child who their father is in the earliest moments of their life. And you go to them and you say, you know, say Abba. Say, say, say Abba. You see, from, from the time that my wife and I got married and we began to think about having a family, I never wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a dad. See, Abba Father is the, the invitation to call the creator God of the universe your heavenly father. It's an invitation to know him in a more personal way. He says, call me dad. I remember when my girls were, were little and, and we were kind of you know, urging them to talk and get into the talk and we, we'd hold them and I would say, all right, come on, come on, Abby. Just say dad, right? Call me dad. Say dada, come on, just, just say dad. You can do it. And then my wife would come in, right? And I, I don't know why this would get a little bit competitive at moments, but she would be like, say mama, say mama. And I would say, you know, get behind me, Satan. It's not what we're here to do, right? But I wanted to hear them say dad. See, when you understand that, that your heavenly father of the universe wants to relate to you in this way, look, it changes everything. Now I want you to understand something, especially for the guys in here for just a moment. Men, let's talk. In these moments when the scriptures talk so intimately about God, and even in in moments where the scriptures say that God calls us little children, I want you to understand something, is that God's desire is not to baby you. But God wants you to understand that you can come to him in the simplest of terms. You don't have to come to him with some grand, you know, grandiose sort of thing. He invites you close and he says, call me dad. You know, no one was a, a more burly guy than King David But he was also a poet and a songwriter. I mean, the guy who had killed a lion, the guy who had killed a bear, the guy who had killed the the giant with a sling, he was the guy who expressed himself in amazingly intimate ways to God in the Psalms. Have you ever had moments where you, you know, maybe said as a kid or maybe your kid said about you, my dad can beat up your dad. My girls haven't said that about me yet, but that's okay. But, But I did. I remember saying that about my dad. Have you ever had that? David has one of these kinds of moments in Psalm chapter 47. He says, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He says, that's my dad. He's strong and mighty. He's powerful. That's who we worship. He says, we can adore him for who he is. We can worship him with everything we've got. 
Now, how much must it please God the Father when we come to him with gratitude? David in Psalm 138, he says, thank you. Everything in me says thank you. He says, angels, listen as I sing my thanks. I kneel in worship facing your holy temple and say it again. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. See, going to him with gratitude for every little thing that he has put into our hands. We have so many wonderful opportunities to relate to this God, to adore him, to love him, to let him know that we love him, to acknowledge his love for us, and then to go to him with gratitude. That's amazing. But it's not always how we express ourselves to dad. Because not every day is adoration. Right? Not every day is gratitude. Though Truly, we should get ourselves to the point where it is. But there are some days and there are some moments where dad is really frustrating. Right? There are some days where we don't understand. There are some days where we read scriptures like his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we're wondering, right? We're, you know, what in the world are you up to? We have different emotions that we want to express to dad. Can I tell you this morning, look, it's not okay to be angry at God, but it's okay to express anger to God. And here's the problem is that if you think God, if you think of God as distant and you think of God as far off, then look, when grief crashes into your life and you're experiencing a loss, maybe you've lost someone suddenly, maybe a marriage is falling apart, maybe you lose a job out of nowhere, maybe cancer comes barreling into your house. Too many people because of their distance with God, they don't express their emotions to him, but rather what they do is they've walked away from him. And maybe you're here today and you're in that category and you found yourself back in this room. I wanna thank you for coming back into this room and I wanna tell you that God, your heavenly dad, wants you to talk to him about whatever it is that's turned you away. Maybe it was that someone stuck a knife in your back. You know, maybe it was someone who was from a church or claims the name of Jesus and they hurt you and you're angry about it. Look, we're allowed to express anger. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed one like this, Psalm 44? Wake up, O Lord. Why are you sleeping? Arise, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Saying, Dad, what, what, what are you doing right now? And we find ourselves with, you know, full of all kinds of emotion, depression, grief, anxiety, fear, whatever it might be. And David says in Psalm 55, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He says, God, it feels like you're hiding. He says, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. God, I'm so afraid with what's going on in my life. I need you to let me know, God, what's going on. Sometimes there's silence and we don't understand it. So, so really, when the rubber meets the road and we rise up in faith the way that we can, sometimes the best thing we can do is Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Say, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know why you're waiting. I don't know why you've allowed that. I don't know what in the world is happening. I'm scared to death. I'm overwhelmed. But Dad, Father, I trust you. I trust you. And then day by day, maybe just a, a prayer as simple as that one, Dad, I'm scared to death, but I trust you. Maybe you find the courage in that little prayer of trust to go a little bit further, to wake up, to, go, to get out of the bedroom, to clean yourself up, to get dressed, to put one foot in front of the other and to move through the day. Now, a little, with a little rising bit of courage, Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 31. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you.
There cannot be a more present truth that even though at times he is silent, he is not absent because he is our perfect heavenly father. He's not gonna leave you, right? We have a dad who is not gonna leave. He is going to be right there at your side no matter what. See, God himself wants to talk with us. He wants to talk with us step by step no matter what life might bring. See, the closer you get in relationship to him, the greater trust you can have in his presence and you will develop a courage that sustains you through the most confusing and overwhelming of circumstances when you know him as dad. There's one other time in the New Testament that this term, Abba Father, comes up. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus had what we now know as the Last Supper with his disciples. And they've left from that room in the upper part of the city and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus went down into the Valley of Kidron into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for what was about to happen. Gethsemane, it means a place of pressing. If you know anything about how olive oil is made, I mean, it's a place of pulverizing. And Jesus, with the sins of the whole world about to to come upon him, with all that angst, with all that anguish, just filled with so much anxiety and emotion, he begins to sweat drops of blood. Now, typically, when I go through things that are difficult, I think of every awesome term that I can to think, uh, you know, that I can think uh, and come up with for God. Whatever it is, I don't even, maybe sometimes even know all of them without looking them up. It's like Almighty God. I heard Elohim one time, so we'll say Elohim, or I heard Adonai one time. You're the king of the universe, you're the alpha, you're the omega, you're the beginning, the end. I'm going through some crazy things right now, God, and I really gotta get your attention. And the son of God, when he was going through the most difficult thing that he would ever go through, what does he pray in Mark chapter 14? He prays, Abba, Father. He says, Dad, everything is possible for you. I've preached it. I believe it. He says, would you remove this cup from me? That's really what I want in this moment, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, when he needed the courage to walk through his most difficult moments, the Son of God called on Dad. It shows again exactly how we are to relate to him, not because God thinks little of you, Not because he doesn't think that you have what it takes, not because he wants to baby you, but because he wants you to know that you can come to him. That you can relate to him in the simplest of terms, just as you are, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. He says you can come. Let's bow our heads for just a moment.